today we're going to look at one which is rubble in almost every Christian's life whether we like it or not and we have to continuously clean out this rubble and today I'm going to we're going to ask the question, what price forgiveness? Because unforgiveness, they say to err is human, to forgive is divine. But if you shovel under unforgiveness under the carpet, you will destroy yourself. And you will destroy your witness for the Lord. Forgiving is not an optional extra for the Christian. It's not something we add on. It is a core part of what we have. See, forgiveness is it's not something that's promoted out there in the world. And it's sometimes seen as weakness. But I don't believe it is. To the believer, forgiveness, forgiveness is absolutely necessary. We cannot go on if we harbour unforgiveness in our hearts. We just can't amount to anything for the Lord. And it, I believe that's a message for this unforgiving world. We can be the shining light and, and show forgiveness to them. Colossians 3 verse 13 says, Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. How many of you have ever experienced a complaint against you? Yeah? How many of you have ever complained about somebody else? See, it happens. But we've got to keep moving the rubble out. Ephesians, uh, as, as we heard before, Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ <coughs> forgave you. Everybody needs forgiveness. And everybody needs to forgive. There's a Spanish story of a father and a son who'd become estranged. And uh, I know some of you here are estranged from family members as well. The son had run away. The father, uh, he, he, he set off to find him. He tried everywhere. He looked in every, every bar, every tavern, every hotel, everywhere he could think of that his son would be. And finally, in a last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. And the ad read simply this, Dear Paco, please meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Sunday, 800 Pacos turned up looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. You see, it's not, it's not a unique problem that we have. Everybody is seeking forgiveness and everybody needs to forgive. So let me ask you the question, why bother to forgive? I mean, why, why should we even bother? Every one of us has been hurt. Am I right? I'm not the only one. Good. That's, that's encouraging. People have said or done, <coughs> done things to us. That of course does harm. But much, much of it is, in our eyes, it's a perceived injustice. If we are the one who has been wronged, if we are the victim, the question is, why should we forgive them? They're the ones who did to me, why should I forgive them? It's their problem, not mine. Shouldn't the bad guy be the guy to forgive first? And how many of you know that rarely happens? Yeah? And, and, and shouldn't the bad guy... I mean, it's not fair that he did this to me and now... You're asking me to forgive him, he should be the first one to do it. Listen, Jesus never promised that you would not be hurt, but he was pretty clear about how, we, what, how he expects us to behave when we are hurt. He knows that hurts and pain are going to come, that people are going to attack us. John 15, uh, 18, if the world hates you, Jesus said, no, it's hated me first. And Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, uh, verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I'm telling you, if you make a stand for Jesus Christ, someone is going to take a shot at you. These days, more often than, than not, because it's now very acceptable. If you're a minority in our country, if you're, you know, gay or Muslim or something like that, you get a hearing and, and people have to listen to you. But if you're Christian, it's open slather. They can attack, what, say whatever they like. 
That's true, isn't it? So if you're going to stand for what's right, you're going to, someone's going to have a shot at you. Jesus was so intent on forgiving others that when the disciples approached him and asked him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray, part of the prayer, the, the, the uh, prayer that you know so well, in Matthew 6, says this, forgive us our debts, our sins, as we have forgiven our debtors. So Jesus is saying, you, you know, part of the Lord's prayer is to say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's a two-way street. And just to make the point, Jesus goes on to say, a few verses later, listen to this, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So it's a pretty big thing when he's saying, if you hold on to bitterness like that, what he's saying is it's going to destroy you. That's not about your salvation, that's about your quality of life. Because if you hold on to things and do not forgive, then you're going to experience it back at you. The Greek word for forgiveness is the word apheimi, which is a combination of two words, apo meaning to separate and haimi meaning to send forth. So forgiveness literally means to send away, to let it alone. Uh, for those of you who are Disney fans, I wish I had a big screen here, but for those of you who are Disney fans, it means let it go. For those of you who are Beatles fans, it means let it be. Right, but that's what forgiveness is about. It's about you not holding on to it, not somehow justifying you know, you know, what they're doing, but letting it go. And when you do that, you're not saying that they're okay. You're not saying that what was done is right. You're not validating what they did. But the meaning is more about us but letting go of the hold it has on us rather than holding on to it. That's what the meaning is. And make no mistake, God is serious about forgiveness. So serious, Jesus <coughs> says, if you fail to forgive, you will not be forgiven. So I want to talk about three things for a minute. Justice, revenge and vindication. If something unjust happens to us, we feel justified in not forgiving. Therefore, somehow punishing them for what they've, the wrong that they've done to us. In fact, we feel like if we forgive them, we somehow let them off the hook. We somehow validate what they did. If someone hurts you and you forgive them, somehow they're not suffering the way they should. And, you know, we think that we're excusing their bad behaviour by forgiving them. <coughs> so the first thing is justice. Beware of a sense of injustice. Because when you feel that you've been wrong and someone has to pay, you know, many people perceive injustice, to, 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 their, their, their perception of injustice makes them justify not forgiving someone. They say, well, this person <coughs> did this to me, therefore I won't forgive them because what they did was unjust. And, you know, if you're looking for justice all the time, you will never be forgiving anybody. Interestingly, when Jesus talks about judging, condemning and unforgiveness, they're all wrapped up in the same verse in Luke 6.37. Listen to this. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. They're wrapped up together. So often we are quick to judge and condemn others. How many of you know that? But we expect leniency when we sin. Am I right? And we all sin. We are very quick to condemn others we see as sinning. But we're very slow to condemn ourselves when we sin. Now, and, and, and <coughs> if you think about it, if you look around at our society, 
we see so many people in sin, they might be in sexual sin, they might be in prison, mistreating others or hateful. But see, the thing is, we sin too. And uh, Fiona often says to me, don't judge others for sinning differently to you. Because we all sin. And we're all very quick to condemn others of their sin, but we are all sinners ourselves. So be careful. If, if an injustice has been done to you, be very careful. Because that's the fuel with which unforgiveness is fueled. The second thing is revenge. Revenge is a, a dish best served cold, but despite the fact that it's cold and unpalatable, the world serves it up all the time. As evidence, how many TV shows are about someone who had a wrong done to them that goes on some vigilante thing trying to get justice back? And they, there's even a show called Revenge. Right? Revenge is very common out there. Try it out. If you get on Facebook and say, this person did something horrible to me, how many people say, well, you should just forgive them and love them? Not many. What do they say? They say, you've got to fight for your rights. You've got to get in there. You've got to tell them what. You've got to get in. And they, they you know, unforgiveness is almost unheard of out there. Oh, sorry, is, is, is everywhere out there. Forgiveness is unheard of out there. Because what happens is people say, fight for your rights all the time. Revenge. And that's what our society is about, fighting for rights. The idea of forgiveness and love has been crowded out by demands from minority groups and all this sort of stuff that say they can do whatever they want. And God says, in Hebrews 10.30, listen to this, God says this, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Getting revenge we want is not what God wants. The truth is that seeking revenge rarely works out well. I mean, it makes for a good TV show because you get lots of action. You get lots of blowing up and shooting and that sort of stuff. But no one wants to live that way, do you? If you do, move to America. It happens all the time over there. You know, but no one wants to live in this constant state of revenge. It destroys the person who is seeking revenge. The law wants to set us free by forgiving the other party and then leave it over to him. Let me ask you a question. If you've trusted him for salvation... If you've said, Lord, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. If you've trusted him for eternity, can you not trust him to vindicate you? Forgiveness gets us to move out of the way and allows God to deal with the situation. Sometimes I think, you know, God wants to bring vindication to us and justice, but we're in the way. When you forgive them, you can step out of the way and leave it in God's hands. So that leads me to the third point, vindication. Vindication is defined... <coughs> in the dictionary as the act of clearing someone of blame or suspicion well when I've been attacked in the past and I'm sure you have I've reckoned it's, it's the frustration isn't it? someone falsely attacks you and here's the thing if you try and defend yourself you look more guilty than ever is that right and you say yeah but and you look more guilty than ever when we are wronged our job is to trust God and ask for his forgiveness and to forgive the other party, not to set about trying to defend ourselves because God will vindicate us. I love the psalm, Psalm 26, David writes this, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity and I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, try me, test my heart and mind. So not only is he saying, Lord, vindicate me, but he's saying, check me out first. Because he's saying, I've walked in integrity. And, uh, you know, this is the thing. You can't control what they say with their tongues, but you can control what you say with your tongue. Yeah. 
You can't control the attacks on your uh, reputation, but you can control your own character. And so when someone attacks you, that is a fantastic opportunity for you to trust God and to allow him to vindicate you. Many times in my life, I've been unjustly accused. Have you? Raise your hands if you've never been unjustly accused. I'm guessing it's none of us. And if you want to know what it feels like to be unjustly accused, become a pastor. It happens all the time. The number of people who get words from the Lord, for me. Right? And, and you know, maybe, they are, maybe I'm not hearing God sometimes. I'm not perfect. But I'll tell you, everybody has an opinion. And everybody wants to attack you. I mean, obviously not you, but in the past this has happened, right? And I've been accused of everything from mishearing God, misquoting scripture through to lying. As someone who tries to walk in integrity, these accusations hurt. Even though they're untrue, they still hurt. Is that right? It still hurts you even though they're untrue. And it is tempting to retaliate against those who accuse me or to argue back. But God has shown me again and again to forgive, to bless them and not to curse them, and to let God sort it out. God will vindicate you. He always does. Nehemiah showed this brilliantly. We were talking with, with Kenny before. Nehemiah, they, they came and attacked him. And when he refused to meet with them, he refused to consult with them, refused to cave into threats or false accusations or rumours that they started about him, he just kept going. And in a, in a town, in a city of Jerusalem, where the walls had been wiped out and rubber was everywhere for 150 years, Nehemiah rebuilt the wall in 52 days. Because he didn't stop to answer all the accusations. He just trusted God to keep going. Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Let me tell you about the dangers of unforgiveness. It is hard to bless those who hurt you. Is that right? Does anybody find it easy? Because I don't. It's hard to bless those who hurt you. But let me say it again. Forgiving doesn't justify what they've done. It doesn't make their actions okay. Forgiving is a direct command of Scripture. But in obedience to Christ, there is great release and incredible, <coughs> incredible blessing. We should also recognize there is a danger in unforgiveness. What happens when you don't forgive someone? You might say, well, I, I, I forgive most people, but I can't forgive him for what he did to me. That's just too far. I hear people say this all the time. That's just too far. That's just too much. I can't forgive that. Hebrews 12 says this. Strive for peace with everyone, which involves forgiveness, and for the holiness with, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. If you refuse to forgive another one, another person, a root of bitterness is planted. That's what happens. And this root grows into a tree that controls your life. The fruit of the spirit you know but the fruit of bitterness is criticism anger selfishness hatred revenge and ultimately despair and misery ever met someone who's refused to forgive have you ever met someone like that their whole life they've refused to forgive is there a hum happening up here mm. Mm. everybody go mm. Can we deal with this? Oh, thank goodness. Mm. 
I was just enjoying that. When, when a fruit of bitterness is planted and this horrible, this horrible uh, fruit comes, comes to, to pass, it can utterly destroy your life. I, I remember that I've had um, some aunties that I've spent time with and they've always been bitter, twisted, critical people because they never forgave. They just held on to it. If you hold on to unforgiveness, however justifiable you might think it is, then you are in trouble. You need to have the root of bitterness dug out. And sometimes it hurts, but you need to have it dug out. Some of you here would still be angry. Some of you have driven people away that you love because you're stubborn and you're angry and you won't let go and you won't forgive them. I can forgive lots of people or lots of things, but not that and not that person. Now, I want to have a special mention for the people who find themselves being hurt time and time again by the same person. Anybody here like that? Have you experienced that? The same person over and over again. And you feel like saying, it's not fair. They're not changing. I forgave them a few times, but it's getting to be a joke. About time I said, no, it's not fair. They're not changing. And you might as well ask, well, how many times am I supposed to forgive this person? Well, interestingly, you should say that because the disciples had exactly the same question. They came, they came to Jesus, asked exactly that question, because what happens in Jewish uh, tradition, Jewish rabbis taught that forgiveness needed only to be extended three times. So Peter, thinking he was pretty cool, said, how many times am I supposed to forgive these guys, Lord? Seven, which is twice what is required, plus one. And, you know, and, and well, let's look at what Jesus said. Matthew 18, if you've got it there. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say seven times 70. Whatever the number is, it's a lot. And Jesus is saying, what he's saying is your forgiveness needs to have no limits. You cannot sit around and say, okay, well, I'm only going to forgive you a little bit up until this point, and then I won't forgive you. So let me ask you this morning, does your forgiveness have limits? Or can you keep on forgiving? Jesus then relates, immediately after this, in the, in the, the scripture there, Matthew 18, Jesus relates <coughs> a parable of a servant who had an unfathomable depth. He owed millions and millions and millions of dollars in our uh, language. And he was condemned by the master with his family to prison. Then it says this in verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, the Lord, saying, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But then, you know the story, he then went and found somebody who owed him a day's wages. And the, the, the blessing that he had of being forgiven was not passed on we read on so his fellow servant fell down and pled with him have patience with me and I will pay you but he refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt for one day's wages versus the millions he was forgiven <coughs> people observed us they, they reported it back to the master and then it says this verse 32 then his master summoned him and said you wicked servant I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Forgiveness is a pretty big deal. 
A lot of the rubble that we have around the wall that's stopping us rebuilding our lives is unforgiveness. It really is. But it's a really big deal. Jesus is pointing out that our debt to our Heavenly Father is, is huge, infinitely huge. It's infinitely greater than any, any debt that, that someone owes us. God has forgiven us of sin that would sever us from him for eternity and yet we hold on to unforgiveness when it comes to our brothers and sisters. We need to realise that we have to have mercy as God had mercy on us. So let me just run through as we wrap it up here some steps to forgiveness. So I asked the question at the start, what price forgiveness? You know what the price is? You have to give up your right to be angry and you have to choose to forgive. You have to give up your right to be vindicated, handed over to God and choose to forgive and love the one that hurts you. Is it easy? No. Is it essential? Absolutely. To struggle with forgiving another who has who's unjustly wronged you is normal. But, you know, not only is forgiving a command, it sets us free. This is the thing about it. When we don't forgive someone, that person is controlling us because of our, our hatred for that person. And here's the weird thing. They don't even know most of the time. Most of the people you're cranky at aren't even aware that you're even angry at them. They're just living their life and you're hanging on to this thing. Sometimes for years. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison hoping the other guy dies. You know, we, we, we're actually poisoning ourselves. It mostly hurts us, not them. Most of the people you refuse to forgive don't even know about it. Yet you're churning inside. So how do we begin to forgive one another? <coughs> Number one, admit that you're hurt. Pretending it doesn't hurt achieves nothing. Some of you guys are really good at this, am I right? No, that didn't hurt me. <coughs> I'm tough, you know. But hiding or ignoring it multiplies it and drives the root of bitterness deep into our souls. It really does. Um, when I was younger, a little bit younger and less wise, I used to help the, the girls. We'd clean up and we'd sweep the kitchen floor. And I'd say, you know, if you know that little bit at the end of the, of the dustpan that doesn't quite get into the dustpan and you keep doing it and it just sits there, I used to say to the girls, when you're done, when you reach that point, just take the remainder and just sweep it under the fridge. Just a, no one will know, sweep it under the fridge. And I kept this up for years and it worked very well. Fiona came, oh, it's very clean, you know. But of course, one day we moved the fridge. And there was an unbelievable amount of dirt and grime behind this fridge. And I sort of went, yeah, whoops. See, my shoveling it under the fridge never got rid of it. It was out of sight, out of mind, but it was still there. And that's what, that's, if, you, if you don't acknowledge that you were hurt, that's exactly what's going to happen. You shove it under the carpet, but one day there'll be a reckoning. One day it will come out. It really will. And I know some of you here have been deeply, deeply, deeply hurt and deeply wronged by people. And I know it's unjust, but if you don't acknowledge it, you're never going to be able to deal with it. Second thing is to offload the pain. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are labour and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, you're not built to carry the pain of unforgiveness for long. It will kill your spiritual life. It will make you sick and eventually kill you. One study I was reading suggested that over 60% of cancer patients had significant unforgiveness in their life. 
And illnesses like, like uh, blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, and of course mental health problems, a huge, huge percentage of them are based around unforgiveness because people are so churned up that it actually causes physical uh, health issues. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You don't have to bear this burden. If someone's hurt you, you don't have to bear it. You can hand it over to him. The third thing is surrender the right to get even. This is the tough one, isn't it? Because we love justice. We, you know, but, but if justice, if mercy didn't exist and justice was all there was, none of us would be here. We'd all be blasted out of eternity. We really would. Because God's mercy trumps justice. If you feel unjustly treated, it's a hard one. What costs forgiveness? You have to, to forgive. You have to give up the right to get even. You have to forgive and leave the result with the Lord. You can uh, be confident that either in this life or the next, he will vindicate you. If you are innocent, he will vindicate you. But don't try and solve the problem yourself as a vigilante. Give it to the Lord and give up the right to get even. Uh, Romans 12 says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, <coughs> if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see what God is saying here? He's saying if you forgive, that's a, that's a great good. And you can overcome evil by forgiving someone else. So surrender the right to get even and bless them instead. And the fourth thing is choose to be set free. You can choose to forgive someone who's hurt you. And it will set you free. You may not feel like forgiving them, but forgiveness is a choice. And you have to be obedient to Christ. It's a command in Scripture and it's a choice. And you can choose to forgive even if you don't feel like it. We don't, we don't live by our feelings. Sometimes you, can, you, you don't feel like you want to forgive them. You feel like you want to say, God, just get them. Go, go blast them out. Go to the bolt of lightning or something like that. That's what you feel like. <coughs> but you can choose to give that up and say, Lord, I choose to forgive them. And I leave my future in your hands. I leave my reputation in your hands. I leave everything in your hands. Galatians 5.1 For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Unforgiveness is slavery. Bitterness is slavery. It, it affects every aspect of your life. When we forgive one another, we set them free. But more importantly, we set ourselves free even if you've been unjustly hurt. Most of the time, as I said, they don't even give a thought to you. They're just doing their own thing. But you torture yourself by hanging on to this. Forgiving them will set you free. And there's another blessing in forgiving. Forgiving someone who's wronged you can cause incredible blessings to flow into your life, through your life, and out to others. That's why Ephesians says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Letting it go, letting it be, relinquishing control of it. <coughs> Lord, I forgive them. And leaving it to the Lord. That's what it's about. 
And we know Romans 8.28 that he works all things for good for those who love him. So you can trust him. Even if it seems bad, you know he can work good out of it. God can make lemonade out of lemons. So even in your pain, your attack, your horrible, the horrible things done to you, if you choose to forgive, God can and will use it for his glory. Forgiving is what starts to remove that rubble and allows you to build the wall properly. It's really important. One of the greatest examples of forgiveness that I have ever witnessed and been a part of involved my wife Fiona. And I've asked her to come and share her testimony of forgiveness and the power of forgiveness used by God to pour blessing on so many to this day. So I'm going to finish this morning. Uh, I want to challenge you, if you are grappling with unforgiveness in your life, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but have a listen to this. This is a real-life example that we've both walked the road, particularly Fiona. I want you to hear what she has to say this morning. Thanks, sweetie. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Um, Darren's asked me to share my testimony with you this morning because my testimony is a testimony of the power of God's great forgiveness in my life. And so to share my testimony with you involves telling you a little bit about my childhood and what led me to the Lord. I was born the second child of six and I grew up in Sydney. My father was a factory worker and my mother was a stay-at-home mum. And so by Australian standards, we were considered very poor. My father was a very angry man given to rages that resulted in the physical abuse of his four eldest children. He was also a pedophile. And my mother, well, I guess she did the best she could at parenting us, but she herself had had a very difficult childhood. And so as a result, um, she was a pretty emotionally unhealthy adult. Um, she was not a nurturing mother. She failed to protect us children from our father, in particular the girls. And so I have very few happy memories of childhood. I grew up in an atmosphere of fear, trying not to upset either of my parents, trying to be perfect, and suffering ongoing physical, sexual, and emotional abuse. I lost count of the times people used to say to me as a child that your childhood days are the best days of your life. And I'm sure they are for some people, but for me, I remember thinking that if these are the best days of my life, I may as well just slit my throat now. I couldn't wait to grow up and get out of there. By the time I'd become a teenager, I was in so much emotional pain that I didn't want to live anymore. And I remember clearly making a decision to end my life. I got my driving licence the first day I was able to legally do so. And one day, I decided I was just going to get in my car and just drive full speed into a tree or a brick wall. And as I was driving, and I was trying to find a place to do this, the right tree, the right brick wall, so that I wouldn't come out of it just injured, um, and as I was driving, a song came on in my car and the words were so powerful and meaningful to me. I had to pull over the car because I was crying so hard I couldn't see the road anymore. And even though I, didn't, even though I wanted to kill myself, I didn't want to hit somebody, somebody else and kill them as well. And the song was called I'll Never Let Go of Your Hand by Don Francisco. And probably some of the older ones here will know that. And it was like God was talking directly to me right there in that car. He was telling me that he'd seen what I'd gone through. He'd seen what they'd done to me. He'd seen me try to hide my tears. And he knew that I'd lost the will to live. But he told me the life that he had given me, no man can take away. And he told me that he loved me no matter what happens, no matter what will happen, and that he will never leave me and never let go of my hand. 
So my conversion was an intensely private moment by myself in my bedroom where I prayed to a God I didn't really know and I said to him, I don't ever want you to let go of my hand. I never want to feel lonely again. Please come into my life and never leave me. And I actually felt a physical presence as I prayed that. And then I got myself a Bible and I started reading it for hours and hours on end. Whenever I had a rostered day off work and I was working full time by the age of 15, I would read and talk to God the entire day. My mother told me that this was a weird religious stage I'm going through and that eventually I'd mature out of it. So I figured by today she's figured out I'm never going to mature. <laughs> so I went to a youth group and then to church. And at the youth group, they asked me if I had quiet times. Well, I didn't even know what that was, so I said no. Apparently, it meant reading a few verses or a chapter of the Bible in a devotional book for five or ten minutes. So I added a ten-minute quiet time to all my hours of Bible reading and prayer. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he really taught me. And I learnt that God is a God of love and that we're to love others. But I hated my father with a really intense hatred. And so I prayed and I asked God to show me how do I love my earthly father. And God taught me. And he taught me that you hate the sin, but not the sinner. But it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I really started to deal with all the abuse I'd gone through as a child and I was able to truly forgive my dad and let go of it all. And I didn't forgive my dad because I felt forgiving toward him. And forgiving, didn't, forgiving him didn't mean condoning anything he'd done to me. It was a choice. I, ch I chose to forgive him. It was an act of my will despite my feelings. And I didn't forgive him because I thought he deserved it. I did it as an act of obedience to God. And because I deserved to be free from the power he had over me, free from the pain, the anger and the bitterness. And because of these early childhood experiences, I had a really hard time learning to trust God the Father, to believe that he truly would protect me, to see myself the way he sees me, but God has never, ever let me down in all these years. And he continually reminds me, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You know, my early life, my childhood was one of shame and loneliness and insecurities and low self-esteem. But he's made it something beautiful. And you know that song, um, that one that says, all I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful of my life. Well, that's the story of my life. And who would have known that day that I decided I was going to kill myself, that God had such a wonderful future planned for me. A godly man for a husband who's loved me for almost 40 years faithfully. Um, beautiful children who never had to suffer what the generation before them did because my God can break every generational curse. I got five beautiful grandchildren, wonderful friends and a church family that I love. You know, I heard someone preach once that you take that stick Satan beat, with you, beat you with and you beat him right back with it. And that's what's happened in my life. Satan beat me as a child with a stick of abuse, but God has enabled me to use that very stick to beat him right back. If it wasn't for the childhood I had, I don't believe I would have been so passionate against child abuse. I've gone to university to become a psychotherapist and counselled so many abuse survivors um, or fostered abused children for over 20 years or set up Lily House which is now bringing some of these abused girls to the Lord and healing this generation and saving the next generation of these girls' at-risk babies. And so what Satan meant for harm, God can bring good out of. You know, I'm so grateful for, to God for choosing me and for all that he's done for me. He is my best friend and he's my real father, my real dad. And, you know, no matter where we've come from or what we've gone through in our lives or what we've 
what we've done ourselves. If we give our lives, if we give ourselves to God, He can restore the years the locusts have eaten. Nothing is impossible for God. There is nothing He can't fix, change, heal, or restore. And my life is a testimony to this, to God's redemptive power, to His love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace. You know, I will never forget there was a, a time uh, when Fiona and I uh, got together. We decided to write a, a letter to her dad. And uh, she simply said, Dad, I forgive you for what you've done. Probably the hardest letter you've ever written. Um, he never acknowledged that he received the letter, but his, complete, his attitude towards us changed completely, radically. And there was an incredible amount of restoration uh, that happened within, within our family as a result of just faithfully saying, Lord, I choose to forgive. And I know some of you here are grappling with that. Some of you here have suffered incredible injustices. But if Fiona can, if Fiona can forgive her own father for sexual and physical abuse over so long and see an incredible result like Lily House and all the other people who've been impacted. Like I believe God can do that in your life too. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and we're going to do some business with the Lord. What price forgiveness? You have to let go of the right to get right. You have to forgo your rights and you have to choose to forgive. Even if you still live with that person, even if that person still hurts you, you can choose to forgive and if you do I believe that God is going to bring about a change that you would not believe he can do it he can do what we cannot do just bow your heads and close your eyes the word of God says search me O God and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting well Lord I pray that you would search our hearts this morning you would test us Lord, I pray that you would just shine your light into the dark areas of our souls where we harbour unforgiveness. Some of you here are holding on to unforgiveness today. And I believe that today is the day you can choose to forgive and be set free. No matter how great the crime against you has been. No matter who did it, whether it was someone close to you, someone you love, someone you respected, or whether it was someone who is outside of your, your normal life, I believe that God can set you free this morning. This morning we are going to shift some rubble. We are going to shift what is going on in our life and we'll be able to build that wall together. So I want you to say these words with me and believe it. Because God is going to do something in your life right now. He's going to set you free. He's going to set you free right now. Can you think of this one person? Maybe it's several, but let's, let's just concentrate on one who's hurt you. That you've been holding on to unforgiveness with. If that is you, and I believe it's many of us here, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord, say it out loud with me. Say, Lord, you know the injustice that has been done. But right now, Lord, 
I choose to forgive. Say it again. I choose to forgive. And I release, put whatever their name is in there, between you and God here. I release them from any debt to me. I choose to forgive them in Jesus' name. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand wherever you are. There's going to be many, many of you, I know, I know. And there's so much pain and hurt. Let's stand together. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to come to the front and we're going to pray with you. We're going to get our team to pray with you. Don't let it sit there. Don't just make an idle commitment, say a few words and think... I want you to come to the front and we are going to pray and we are going to believe that God is going to do something incredible and amazing and set you free this morning. He's going to clear out that rubble and allow you to build something of substance here this morning. So as we sing this song, just come to the front. Come right to the front. There's many, many, many of you.